Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, hello there. All right. Hope everybody's doing okay. Here's what I want to start with. I want to start with the Kerry Lake trial and mention a few things about that because I listened to the last two days, two of the three days of that particular trial, the most recent one anyway. And it's it's been interesting because, again, the first round with this same judge regarding the voter fraud in Arizona, and as we know, I mean, Katie Hobbs didn't win, but I watched every day of the first trial. And again, there were a lot of opinions and a lot of there's no way that this could have happened kind of talk and, and a lot of that stuff. But there was no real hard hard evidence when it came to actual fraudulent votes. And then, of course, how did those votes go? Hence, this most recent form of, of the trial, which, of course, they took it to the Arizona Supreme Court after the first trial and after the first ruling. And they said, well, we have more evidence and we're going to enter that in and they're going to have to look at it and then they're going to kick it back down to the smaller court, same court, same judge, and then look at more evidence. And they did. This time around, they were looking at very specific voting that was taking place within a set amount of time and something like a quarter of a million votes being approved in just a matter of seconds. That's pretty crystal clear that, again, there was voter fraud and things taking place by the actual poll workers themselves and the vote counters themselves when they were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. The problem with this last trial, though, was that they still didn't determine, because they weren't allowed to bring it up in court, how those votes panned out. Which way did those votes go? All of those quick and fraudulent votes, were they were they for Katie Hobbs or were they for uh, Carrie Lake? Now, we can take a guess, but they have to kick this now because it's been dismissed. They have to kick this back up to the higher courts and produce the evidence to them and then say, you know, Your Honor, we have to bring this back down to the lower court now because here's all the evidence we have. So that's my guess as to what happens next. Um, Carrie Lake is apparently going to have a press conference here pretty soon about that. And by the time you hear this, it's probably already taken place. But that would be my guess, is that they would try to do it one more time. Although this time with more specific evidence as to how those votes actually worked out and who those votes were actually for. Because again, if you have the vast majority, upwards of 90 some odd percent of those fast and fraudulent votes taking place, and they're all for Katie Hobbs, well, then there's your answer. So I don't know. It's pretty jacked up nonetheless. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of threatening going on. I'm sure there's a lot of private exchanges taking place, but she said it from the very start, Carrie Lake has, that she'll take it to the Supreme Court if she has to. But the interesting part, of course, is that the Supreme Court isn't even taking any kind of voter fraud cases. They've kicked all of them out. And, you know, that kind of leads me to a post which was really interesting. It was on Great Awakening from a while back. And I think I still have it. Yeah, it's right here. Let me read this to you. I I thought this was interesting because, again, we know that the court system is corrupt in our country. And it certainly seems rather suspicious that every single court is just kicking out all of these voter fraud cases as quick as possible. But this was from a while back. I want to say at least a week ago. And it's titled the following. It says, 
starting to suspect that all of these no-standing quote-unquote rulings on election fraud lawsuits that Trump's team has been seeking out that ruling on purpose to keep the plan rolling. Again, this is one person's theory on the whole thing. And again, it specifically doesn't have to do with the Kerry Lake case per se, although it certainly seems similar. And again, this is just one person's take, but I just wanted to read it because I thought it was food for thought here. It said, quote, think about it. The judges who even shot them down were Trump-appointed judges. Were the lawyers involved in these suits too stupid to know what would and wouldn't get them standing? I've thought about this a lot. I thought about how much harder fraud is to prove than simply proving that an election shouldn't stand based on what factually occurred at the time, whether it was intentional or not. It's like putting your thumb on the opponent's scale. Any good lawyer knows that when a higher charge is too iffy, you settle for the lesser charge. I keep looking at all of these suits and they keep trying to prove in court that there was fraud, which is intentional, which would not only require the actions observed and recorded, but proof that there was happening and coordinated and intentional, which of course, they're not going to have all of that. Or maybe they do. And then they said, I think they do. But the plan called for Donald Trump to play shadow president for four years while fake Biden takes the country seemingly to the edge of oblivion. But when you think in terms of the Q plan, how it had to be this way, despite all of Trump's grandstanding and huffing and puffing about the election, to see all of these highly capable lawyers just get swatted away left and right by judges all over the country, something doesn't smell right to me. Something tells me that the lawyers fighting for Trump, perhaps with the exception of the Mormon trumpet players from Utah, were part of the show. They brought intentionally weak cases that wouldn't qualify for standing so they could appear to be trying to fight this in court when they really had no intention of doing so, because it would be almost too easy to prove, and putting Trump right back into the White House wasn't part of the plan right now. So here we are huffing and puffing about this painfully obvious fact that the election was stolen and no judge will even take the case, and suddenly I'm thinking, quote, oh shit, maybe the Patriots have more control than I thought, unquote. You know, it's, it's possible. I mean, at this point, anything is possible. We've been told we're watching a show. We've been told that we're watching numerous horrific things occur because we have to see these things. It isn't going to be easy. It is going to be painful. But one of the things I think to add on to their point that people have to see is that if there is voter fraud and you have people bringing cases, you have to do it at the state level, which I think is what the Kerry Lake thing is doing. The, the entire back and forth from the local court all the way to the Supreme Court at the state level and then back down and sort of piecemealing the evidence to the higher court is one way that this gets done. And it's certainly being done piece by piece. In the first round, again, of the Kerry Lake trial, you had individuals saying, hey, look, in the past, you had this many voters vote this way, and now all of a sudden you have a bunch more voters vo voting this way? It's absolutely impossible. That would never happen. I think of Rich Barris's testimony when he was on the stand in the first trial back around Christmas time. That's basically what he was saying. He was saying, in the past, these areas voted this way, and then in 2020, all of a the sudden, they all flipped. 
He said, if the population didn't change that much, there's no way that you would have that mathematical anomaly take place and, and have it not be intentional. But the problem was, is again, that was his opinion. Now, he's right. And anybody looking at it objectively, putting their feelings aside, would say, yeah, you're right. That is, that's a mathematical anomaly that uh, is not normal. And, and that's putting it mildly. But you needed more hard evidence. So the second time around, they had video footage of this person at a computer just hitting buttons as quickly as humanly possible. And then, of course, you had a quarter of a million votes, so to speak, uh, be counted in a matter of seconds. Not to mention, it brought into the question of whether or not this was an algorithm, a computer-based algorithm of some kind that immediately did that in an instant, because it can't be done by hand. So, more evidence the second time around. That means if there's a third time around, there has to be even more evidence. There have to be actual individuals maybe testifying, saying, yes, I was here, I did this, we were told to do this, and this is exactly what we did. Or, yes, there was a computer program that immediately uploaded all of this information in an instant, and it's not supposed to be that way, and clearly that's against the law. I mean, that would have to be the next time around if there is an, uh, a next time. But, I don't know. She, she hasn't, Carrie Lake hasn't said she's going to drop the case, and I don't think she should. They have the whistleblowers in their back pockets. They have the evidence. They're just piecemealing this out for the public because, in my opinion, I think the public has to see this at the state level because this is where this gets handled. So fixing Arizona, um, you know, whether that shifts things toward Donald Trump or not is another matter. But I think if people see it at the state level, then Trump can get back in, uh, maybe in the form and fashion that, that they want. But I really don't know what the larger plan is beyond, I don't know, another 2024 election where it's beyond obvious that it's a blowout. But again, wouldn't that, wouldn't that change everyone's minds also? Wouldn't that cause everybody to question the election from a larger standpoint too? All of these people who, again, it's mathematically impossible that Joe Biden won 81 million votes when there's only 130 some odd million registered voters in the United States. It, uh, and Donald Trump got more votes than anybody else in the history of anybody. <laughs> and that doesn't even add up to 130 some odd million votes. I mean, it's the, the math at face value is, uh, is embarrassing, but no one's paying attention to that, at least certainly not the media, because of course they're in on it. So I don't know. That's my two cents on the Carrie Lake thing. I think it's going to continue to roll out. I think it's going to continue to be interesting. I certainly hope that it does anyway, but I found it interesting to listen to. I mean, the defense's lead witness and only witness in the second round of the cases is the guy in charge of the policies and the procedures when it comes to counting the votes. And this guy didn't know and testified that he didn't know the difference between an average and a percentage. When I heard him say that live, I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. What is wrong with this person? He's like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> Who are you then? So yeah, I don't know. That's my two cents on it. I hope they kick it up to the higher court with more evidence and more whistleblowers. And that's really what I'd like to see if it gets kicked back down to the lower court with uh, the same judge all over again, is that you actually have whistleblowers this time taking the stand 
on on behalf of the prosecution and saying again, yeah, I was there, we did this, and we weren't supposed to be doing this, but we were doing this. That would be interesting. All right. Uh, one more geopolitical thing here. I thought this was rather odd. So I'm sitting in the backyard the other day, and I'm listening to Pandora, and in the middle of the songs, the commercial break kicks in. And I always listen to them because, again, even Pandora has gone just politically crazy. And they certainly did during the COVID stuff back in 2020 and 2021. It was all, you know, Black Lives Matter and the, the shot taking and all of this stuff. Now they have a commercial that is from this organization that is claiming to be the largest Latino civil rights organization in the United States. And they're called Unidos US. So the website is unidosus.org. And essentially, and you're going to hear essentially the entire ad as I'm going to play it because it's on it's on their website. That uh, basically, if you <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face, if you think if you if you're Latino or even if you're not, you can identify as Latino if you want to. That Latinos look different. Therefore, they can identify as whatever they'd like, and you can too. So they have a section on their website with some key facts, and it says the following. It says, Latinos contribute to our country's history and economy, 70%. It says, in the next 20 years, 70% of new homeowners will be Hispanic. Then it says, explore more statistics, and they have... A bunch more, but I'm just going to read a few here again that are right on their website, which is again unidosus.org. It says 80%, nearly 80% of Latinos are U.S. citizens. It says 24%, nearly a quarter of Hispanics in the U.S. self identify as Afro Latino. All right. Uh, 21%, the percentage of the country's 16.6 million students enrolled in undergraduate programs who are Latino. And then 1 million, it says, the average number of Hispanics who turn 18 each year and become eligible to vote. Keeping in mind, of course, before I play this audio from the commercial, that more and more states are doing whatever they can to get illegals to vote. This past November, it was on the ballot in the state of Ohio, and it failed miserably. Now they're trying to put something on the ballot in the state of Ohio that has to do again with abortion, and that we can kill babies right up into the point of birth or something outrageous like that. So here's the commercial that they played, which again, it stopped me dead in my tracks, and I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. But then again, this is the state of affairs. And this is how crazy these people are. So give this a listen. I'm Hispanic, but my Spanish is not the best. I'm Latina, but I've never been to Latin America. I'm Latino, despite being fourth generation in this country. I am Latino, but most of my friends aren't. I am Latina, even if my last name doesn't sound like it. I am Latino, even if some don't think I look it. Today, there is no one way of defining our identity. But there is one way of defining how to become stronger. 
Being unidos. Because unidos, we can create more and better opportunities for all of us. Let's come together and show the power of being unidos. Únete a nosotros. Join us. Unidos. 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 Unidos U.S., the largest Latino civil rights organization in the United States. Join us. We're being invaded, ladies and gentlemen. We're being invaded. And I think we know who's funding this multi-pronged attack on us, don't you? I think we know who's funding all of this. This is just nuts. We need another we need another white city councilman from Indiana to come out as as being a uh, Latino woman of color. Please do that again. <laughs> that was too funny when that guy did that. And all these students and all these whack job leftists came up to the lectern and started yelling at him about how he needs to leave office because he's mocking what how people really identify. Please. He's spitting right in the face of the enemy, and the enemy just seething is is just super fun to watch. But uh it's just it's so exhausting. Here's another one. This is actually I'll browse all our videos. They have a ton of them apparently. But here's another one I wanted to play. It says, what is critical race theory? Author, activist, and influencer, Julissa Arch, if that's her real name, explains the real reasons conservatives don't want Americans to learn truthful history that is honest about slavery, racial segregation, mass deportations based on race, and how these choices are impacting Latino students. Let's listen to this one, shall we? In three, two, one. You've probably heard of efforts by various states to ban critical race theory or to withhold millions of dollars in funding from schools that teach it. What is critical race theory? How did it become the latest rallying cry of conservatives? The answers to these questions show us that these attacks are only one part of their concerted efforts to undermine social justice for communities of color. But let's start at the beginning. Critical race theory was developed in the 1970s and 1980s by legal scholars such as Derrick Bell, Angela Harris, and Mexican-American scholar Richard Delgado. I have to stop it right there. You know that to be false. Everything she just said right there is a lie. Critical theory was started in the Frankfurt School by all of those Jewish Marxists, and that's where it started. This woman is a fool, and this is the problem, is people will just watch this and believe her. It's disgusting. It's just like when Fauci said, hey, Take the shots, black people, because a black woman took it and she helped create it. All of that was a lie, too. This is also a lie. None of these individuals created critical race theory. It was just called critical theory with multiple, multiple forks and multiple tentacles, so to speak, associated with all of it. So that one could be race, one could be sex, one could be gender, one could be something else, and blah, 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 blah. And then they would just attack everybody with this nonsense and make it fluid so that it fits within every aspect of society, so they think. The fluidity of it, though, and the fluidity of the entire lie stretches right into the people 
that they think actually created it. I'm going to continue with this. There's about three more minutes, but she's already wrong. 41 seconds in and she's dead wrong. To study how race is central to the creation of laws. In other words, how the laws of the United States have been influenced by race. And in some cases, how the law perpetuates racism. The principles of critical race theory have spread beyond the legal field, including into education and history. And this is precisely what has so many conservatives hot and bothered. Yet, many of them can't articulate what critical race theory is. What they are really against is a truthful retelling of our nation's history, a story that is honest and factual about slavery, colonialism, racial segregation, mass deportations based on race, and more. As long as they deny students the right to learn about their own histories, they'll be denying the country an opportunity to heal. Conservatives' efforts to keep Americans from learning factual American history are not new. Learning our own history and heritage has never come without a fight. We've met resistance ever since the first Chicano Studies program was founded in 1968 at Cal State LA. In 2010, legislators in Arizona banned Mexican-American studies, and it was not until 2017 that a federal judge forbade the state from enforcing such laws. While Texas approved an ethnic studies course in 2018, Governor Greg Abbott has signed into law a bill that severely limits how educators talk about issues of race. Taking Texas history is still a graduation requirement in that state. However, the version that is taught all but whitewashes the contributions of Latinos. In places like Texas, Latino students represent the majority of K-12 public schools, accounting for 52.8% of the enrollment in the 2019-2020 school year. However, Latino students are twice as likely to drop out of high school than white students. Culturally relevant classes can help. One study found that students who took an ethnic studies class had increased attendance, higher GPAs, and earned more credits. The success of our students means the success of our country. Our education system should be inclusive and provide a path for an equitable future. There are bright spots. For example, the Los Angeles Unified Board of Education voted to make ethnic studies a requirement for high school graduation by the 2023-2024 school year, a policy that the state government is poised to follow. Let's remember that attacks on teaching truthful American history have never come in a vacuum. They are only one part of a strategy to undermine our democracy, which is why registering to vote and then voting in local, state, and federal elections is critically important to ensuring our education system upholds values of inclusivity and justice for all. It's so exhausting, isn't it? It's just so exhausting. I mean, you have to you have to hand it to her though. She got all the buzzwords in there. Democracy, inclusion, equity. Good for her. She's checking off those boxes as she goes. She's of course reading all of this. You can see her eyes darting around. She's not ringing this off the top of her head because again, if it's a lie, you have to write it down and then repeat it. 
because uh, if it were the truth, well, it'd be very easy to remember. With all of that aside, we're being invaded. <laughs> I just, I'm just going to keep saying it. We're being invaded. This is nuts. I cannot, I cannot believe, well, I can believe, but for her to even say that the reason that Latino students drop out so frequently is because they're not receiving classes that have to do with Latinos. That's the dumbest excuse I've ever heard. It's probably because they're not from here. They don't speak English. They can't read English. Colleges and universities let them in because of their skin color and because they can get a few bucks out of them before they drop out. And then they drop out because, well, they can't read, they can't speak English, and that's typically, you know, kind of a prerequisite if you're going to learn in this country. But not according to her and that one study she references. No, no, no. And doesn't even mention what study it is, probably because it doesn't exist, but that the reason that they're all dropping out is because, well, the classes aren't inclusive. Well, boo flippin' who. Too bad. Too bad. I cannot wait for when the National Guard is activated at the federal level to round up all of these people and throw them out of this country. I know that sounds harsh, and no, it's not racist. That's not it. They don't belong here. If they're illegal, they need to leave. It's that simple. It's that simple. They have to go. It's, you know, a lot of this has been brought up in the Q post. Donald Trump himself has said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. That once in office, he will activate the National Guard and it'll be the largest deportation effort that has ever taken place in the history of this country. I swear to God that that had better happen. It really had better happen. Because what's going on right now uh, in this country is nuts. And I hope that the justice is swift and anybody who is out there protesting, and you know they will, that that's going to be chaotic. It'll be absolutely chaotic. And I really do believe that if that happens, that will be the next major riot or riots, and there will be multiple riots that take place. You're going to see all of the leftists out on the streets screaming at the top of their lungs, and they'll be shooting at our National Guard. That will be a thing. That will happen. If, as the National Guard goes door to door and starts rounding up individuals, if that occurs, there's no way that doesn't happen without a real fight. So, yeah, it's going to get interesting, certainly in the next couple of years. This is going to get. Uh, this is going to get real interesting. So there's that. Unidosus.org. God help us all. All right. A um, couple of headlines here real quick regarding education, and then a few things I want to dive into more specifically in education. Let's see here. Quick update. An unfortunate update, but it's a factual one. The seventh grade female who I brought up regarding their suicide in the local... Uh, well, they didn't do it in school. They, they didn't kill themselves in school. But um, they, they were not gay. They apparently 
broke up with her boyfriend, so the story goes, or their boyfriend broke up with her. She apparently had at least one or multiple psychotic episodes, and she ended up shooting herself with a shotgun. So that's not good. But uh, just wanted to bring that update your way as more details about that have spilled out, and there you go. Again, you know my take on this, that the school, because I've written about it and spoken about it here, but the school environment itself puts so much pressure on minors to have relationships and sexual relationships and intimate relationships with their peers, that this being an outcome is an inevitability. Because again, many youth are not mature enough to have a relationship. They don't understand that the vast majority, if not all, relationships that exist at the high school level fail, and they don't last. And when they don't last, um, if one person is more invested in the relationship than another, well, you're going to have lots of different emotional reactions. This, unfortunately, was certainly a psychotic one, wanting to kill yourself, but I still, I, I will always blame the environment to a very large extent. Of course, the parents have a role to play too. You know, I've heard lots of different stories of, of parents putting restrictions on their children when it comes to relationships. You can't date until you're 16. You can't date until you're 18. You know, a number of different things. And then, of course, you have parents out there who are 100% fine with their children dating as early as 10, 11, and 12. You know, this is problematic, but. That right there is an unfortunate end to something that uh, was avoidable, without a doubt. So just wanted to bring that quick update there. Okay, the Crumbly parents. This is getting interesting as well. Apparently, one of the survivors of the shooting is advocating for gun control, and Jesse James brought that to my attention. There's also this. One of the lawyers who is representing the parents... Um was attempting to go after the school officials who were involved as well. But apparently they have governmental immunity. So you can't go after them either criminally or civilly, which seems absurd to me. Uh, but that's Michigan law, Michigan state law, apparently. With that aside, the, uh, the parent's trial hasn't been set yet, but the lawyer who represented the, the parents of the children who who were killed, along with others apparently, has stated that the trial for the Crumbly parents is set or will be most likely set for some time in the later summer, if not early fall. That was his that was his best guess when he was talking to CBS Detroit there uh, just the other day. So just wanted to bring that to your attention because again, this is one of those this is one of those things that I'm going to cover. And certainly watch and pay attention to because it's clearly a gun grab, as you've heard me say, and uh, it's an abomination that they're even being tried. Speaking of trials, though, I'll tell you what. And speaking of lawsuits, this this was an interesting comment to a previous episode I had on BitChute, and I'm glad that this person, whoever they are, put this in the comments because they make an excellent point. Uh, and, and here's what they said in the post, and then I want to get into what the specific law says. This has to do with grooming. And it has to do with grooming of school-age students and certainly minors and how, frankly, this is against the law. So every single time, again, that they are, well, and by they, I mean these institutions and these, these school districts are pushing this gay agenda, that as they do this, they are 
in a subliminal way, certainly engaging in sexual grooming. And they're trying to perverse the minds of these minors. Now, you would think that this would be completely illegal. What we know is that the individuals behind this entire agenda do a very good job of towing the line between what is legal and what is not legal. I would love to have parents, though, sue school districts and, if not the entire state and the state departments of education for allowing these kinds of things to take place. So here's the comment that they put below, uh, below my video on BitChute. They said, start researching home and religious schools. Public schools will kill your children. Grooming is a federal offense pursuant to 18 U.S. Code subsection 2422. The provision as A, whoever knowingly persuades, induces, entices, or coerces any individual to engage in any sexual activity shall be fined or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. They then said, call Congress about the Parents' Bill, Section 104, Parents' Right to Know. 1112 Section E of 20 U.S.C. 6312 is amended. Notice of Rights. Each school posts information about their children's education as required under this Act, which shall include, at minimum, the right to review the curriculum of their child's school, the right to a list of the books in the library of their child's school, and inspection. I'm sorry, inspect such books or other reading materials, the right to know if a school employee or contractor acts to change a minor child's gender markers, pronouns, or preferred name, or allow a child to change the child's sex-based accommodations, including locker rooms or bathrooms. So I got into that previous law, 18 U.S. Code subsection 2422 regarding coercion and enticement. Here are the two definitions of this. They're rather brief. The first one is A, whoever knowingly persuades, induces, entices, or coerces any individual to travel in interstate or foreign commerce in any or in any territory or possession of the United States to engage in prostitution or any sexual activity for which a person can be charged with a criminal offense, or attempts to do so, I think that's, a, that's key language there, or attempts to do so, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. And then the B definition, whoever using the male or any facility or means of interstate or foreign commerce or within the special maritime and territorial jurisdiction of the United States, knowingly persuades, induces, entices, or coerces any individual who has not attained the age of 18 years to engage in prostitution or any sexual activity for which any person can be charged with a criminal offense or attempts to do so, shall be fined under this title and imprisoned not less than 10 years or for life. Unquote. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not a lawyer. I think it's interesting. It's interesting language. I like the verbiage or attempts to do so. Isn't that what these school districts are doing? Aren't they attempting to groom and sexually groom these children? Isn't that a crime? Again, you've heard me say a thousand times that this is the battlefield. 
if lawfare is taking place within the K-12 system on a constant basis, why in God's name is any parent sending their children onto that battlefield? This is where, I mean, this is where all of the the lawsuits are taking place. This is where all of the perversions are taking place. This is where all of the brainwashing is taking place. I, I can't for the life of me understand why, other than the fact that it's the parents themselves who are brainwashed as a result of generations of sending their children into these environments. The homeschooling family doesn't have to do this. The homeschooling family doesn't have to engage in lawfare. Not at all. That time may come in the future when people start to come after homeschoolers and governments start to come after homeschoolers. They certainly will, in particular if the vast majority of the American population ends up homeschooling. And children reach a particular age where they say to themselves, wait, I can read and write. Why can't I do this on my own? Why do I have to keep waking up early and caring about what I wear and how I look in front of my peers and whatever else? Um, Yeah, there has to be a renaissance here and there has to be a a, a complete shift. But I think that's, that's a future legal battle that might take place, certainly at the federal level, as more and more people start to homeschool and the public school system, certainly the attendance within public, private, and charter, dramatically declines. Once that happens, yeah, you can you can bet your bottom dollar that they're probably going to come after homeschoolers because, again, the legal fight right now regarding that has to do with the money. Do homeschoolers have to pay the local property taxes to the school districts and the local school taxes to the public school system? That has to work itself out eventually to where certain states say, hey, look, if you're homeschooling, you don't have to pay anymore. You don't have to pay the local public school system anymore if you're homeschooling. Congratulations. Again, if given that option, as more and more states are starting to do, certainly in piecemeal fashion, I should say, um, that's going to be interesting going forward. And that's, well, that's just too enticing. It's too enticing for individuals who can read and write and think for themselves. You would think that a family would want to keep three, six, ten grand, or however much it is per student, and keep that for themselves, and again, not have to pay the local school districts. But I don't know. Time will tell on that. It's just another future fight that I think is going to get real interesting and real messy in the future. But it's got to happen. Which leads me to this, and this fits perfectly because this is exactly what I'm talking about, and this is the government lawfare and, and warfare that's going to start taking place when more and more people realize that school choice is the way to go. This is from the Gateway Pundit. North Carolina Democrat Governor Roy Cooper declares state of emergency to oppose school choice bill. Ugh, yuck. Let's see. Declared a state of emergency on Monday. Aiming to prevent a school choice bill from passing the state legislature. Senate Bill 406, also known as Choose Your School, Choose Your Future, is an initiative to make opportunity scholarships, also known as vouchers, available to families of all income levels. Well, great. Great. What happened to old Roy Cooper's equity? What happened to equity, ladies and gentlemen? See how their own hypocrisy floats right to the surface for everybody to see. It says this would allow parents to use public school funds allocated for their children and use it to send them to a private school of their choosing. See, this is the problem, though. In these bills, and I haven't read the bill, 
But in these bills, typically, it will have to do with either just private schools where they'll allow them to take back their money, charter schools, one or the other. And typically, and unfortunately, they always exclude homeschooling families out of these bills. If it's really school choice, then give them the choice across the board. It shouldn't just be, oh, you don't have to attend the public school anymore. You can go to a private school. Well, let them homeschool and take their money. It's their money. So that's, that's one of the failures of, of, these, uh, of these bills that are being passed and certainly being proposed. It says the bill will also require public schools to allow students to graduate from high school in three years instead of four. Excellent. You don't have to be there for four years, ladies and gentlemen. Any student listening to this, if you're out there, you don't have to graduate in four years. You can just take the classes you need in high school and leave early. And don't be suckered into a lot of those advanced placement courses. Some of them can be beneficial and actually give you credit at the college level so that you can even graduate at the college level sooner. But don't fall for it all the time. I certainly didn't, and I graduated from high school in less than four years. If I did it, anybody can do it. Trust me. It says, quote, Today's a great day for kids, and that's what the bill is about, said the lead sponsor of the bill, Senator Michael Lee of New Hanover, at a press conference. Constituents continually support increased school choice and more access to educational options for families, said Amy Galley. Uh, one of the bill's principal sponsors said in response to an email from WGHP, quote, not every school is a good fit for every child. And when there is a disconnect, no kidding, the parents should have the options to be sure that their child is learning and growing appropriately. And then Governor Roy Cooper announced a state of emergency on Monday in anticipation of an override of his veto of the Senate Bill 406 by the state legislature. Let's give old Roy Cooper a listen, shall we? Hi, everybody. It's time to declare a state of emergency for public education in North Carolina. There's no executive order like with a hurricane or the pandemic, but it's no less important. It's clear that the Republican legislature is aiming to choke the life out of public education. I'm declaring this state of emergency because you need to know what's happening. If you care about public schools in North Carolina, it's time to take immediate action and tell them to stop the damage that will set back our schools for a generation. Here's what's happening in the next few weeks. Their private school voucher scheme will pour your tax money into private schools that are unaccountable to the public and can decide which students they want to keep out. They want to expand private school vouchers so that anyone, even a millionaire, can get taxpayer money for their children's private academy tuition. When kids leave public schools for private school, the public schools lose hundreds of millions of dollars. And while they hand out private school vouchers to millionaires, they also want to give them large tax breaks, too. This drops an atomic bomb on public education by shrinking the state's budget by almost 20%. Public school superintendents are telling me they'll likely have to cut schools to the bone, eliminate early college, AP, and gifted courses, art, music, sports, 
if the legislature keeps draining funds to pay for private schools and those massive tax breaks. The chance to fix our teacher shortage will also evaporate if the legislature chooses corporations over classrooms. We have more than 5,000 teacher vacancies in kindergarten through 12th grade classrooms, leaving tens of thousands of students without a qualified educator. Our students deserve good teachers. That's why instead of tax breaks for rich folks and private school vouchers, I proposed a pay raise of 18% over the next two years because our teachers deserve better pay and more respect. But the legislature wants to give them neither one. In fact, the Senate has given veteran teachers a $250 raise spread over two years. 250 bucks. That's a slap in the face, and it'll make the teacher shortage worse. Tax giveaways to the wealthy also harm our youngest learners. Families and businesses across the state have called for strong investments in early childhood education. So far, the legislature is turning its back on children, parents, and the businesses that want to hire those parents by shortchanging pre-K, smart start, and quality child care. Our strong state economy is built on strong schools at every level. You know, smart investments in education work. An official report said students recovered dramatically from pandemic learning loss in North Carolina. And it's because we invested $5 billion in federal dollars to pay for additional teachers, tutors, and summer school. What doesn't work is taking away funding and using partisan politics to fool parents who care deeply about their children's future. Not satisfied just to starve public education, the Republicans in the legislature also want to bring their political culture wars into the classrooms. If they get their way, our state board of education will be replaced by political hacks who can dictate what is taught and not taught in our public schools. North Carolina schools need rigorous science, reading, and math classes, not more politicians policing our children's curriculum with book bans, elimination of science courses, and more. Put together, these ideas spell disaster that requires emergency action. The North Carolina I know was built on support for public schools. And we can't let the legislature tear them down. I'm fighting back, and I need you to do it too. Public schools can survive this legislative session if we can limit the damage, but we all need to pull together to do it. Right now, please go to governor.nc.gov. This site lays out the facts and shows you how you can connect with your state legislators and tell them to support public education. If you commit to call, write, text, or visit with your legislators and work to hold them accountable, you will make a difference. Our children need us right now. Thank you so much. My nephew's last day of school 
is Wednesday. They're supposed to be learning about Middle Eastern history in sixth grade. Middle Eastern history. Do you know what movie they're going to show him and countless other students on the last day of school for Middle Eastern history? You guessed it. Disney's Mulan. I'm not making that up. That's a real thing. That's happening. Everything that Roy Cooper described there is perfect because it's total and utter panic. Complete panic. First of all, if any website ends with .gov and a government official tells you to go there and find the facts, quote-unquote, they're lying to you. You're not going to find any facts on a, on a site that ends with .gov. Isn't going to happen. That's number one. Number two, they are bleeding enrollment of students. They are bleeding teachers. Less and less want to become them. More and more are quitting. The business is crumbling to the ground, and his proposal is to veto school choice and increase teacher pay by 18%. You can't throw money at this and fix it. There's nothing that's going to fix this in the future. It won't. You can't force people to go to school when there are countless other options and attend public school. The one option, again, you're not going to hear politicians use, which is remarkably unfortunate, is homeschooling. They're not saying it as often or as frequent as they should, and they should be saying it. And it should be included in all of these bills. All of them. But they know, even they know, that if they did that, it would be game over. Because they, of course, receive kickbacks from individuals associated with the education business, which ironically is the exact same corporations that Roy Cooper is claiming are fighting against the education business. I'm sorry, but they're all fingers on the same corrupt hand. They're all in it together to some extent. The so-called Republicans are slow-rolling this when they could knock it out of the park in an absolute instant. You give the homeschooling families the ability to retain their money and their tax money and not pay the local public school systems, but also not force them into a private system if they don't want that either. Just allow them to have their money back and not pay, and you will watch the entire public school apparatus crumble overnight. But they've got to maintain the game. Even the Republicans have to maintain the game because, again, they're receiving kickbacks too. So the wordplay and the word usage is interesting. There's really no state of emergency. He's not really declaring a state of emergency. He's just saying that as a warning shot to simply say, if you support school choice or any variation of it, certainly the money funneling that is taking away from the public school system, that if you support that vacuum of sucking that cash out of the public school system, then you are the problem. He, of course, couldn't be more wrong, but he has to say that because, well, he's a politician, and he's the governor, and he's a Democrat, and he's involved. He has to maintain the government brainwashing apparatus, which should tell people that these politicians know even the Republicans know that the public school system, while a failure, is also a brainwashing program. Always has been, continues to be. 
but I just wish that they would throw homeschooling into these bills and give the homeschooling families their money back and the option to use these school vouchers for homeschooling curriculum. Because what you will find, ladies and gentlemen, is the answer does not really lie in the amount of money you throw into education. It solely relies on the truth. And if you're teaching the truth and you're allowing students to realize that they've been brainwashed, manipulated, lied to, all the other words that you want to use, it doesn't take any money to figure that out. And once that fire is lit, there's no going back. They're going to go down every rabbit hole of investigation that they can, regardless of the student. Once you snap them free of that brainwashing and watching Mulan as your last day of school, Middle Eastern history day kind of thing, honest to God, it's, uh, it, 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 there's no way that they go back. There's just no way they go back. It's, you've heard me say it a million times. It's the homeschooling family doesn't return to the public school system once they start homeschooling. Once the individual student learns that they can read, write, teach, and teach themselves any subject they want with the proper technology around them and the proper books, and, and they know exactly where to go to find this information, then it's game over. The public school system looks like child's play compared to what they're doing, because what they're doing is actually more adult-level thinking, which is a good thing, and that's something that should always be taking place. We should never be discouraging certain kinds of conversations from taking place when it comes to learning the truth. But that's what government wants. Government means mind control on purpose, not an accident. And here's another example, actually, of mind control. This comes from Breitbart. It is titled, Professor Files Complaint Against University of Minnesota for Paid Summer Internship Program that Excludes White Students. Seems completely against the law at face value, does it not? It says a professor has filed a complaint against the University of Minnesota for hosting a paid summer internship program that reportedly excluded white students. William Jacobson, a law professor at Cornell University, filed the complaint with the Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights, alleging that the taxpayer-funded University of Minnesota has discriminated whites with any internship associated with its graduate studies program, per the Daily Mail. It says the internship previously set out to prepare students of color and Native Americans for graduate school. Interesting because apparently it's different for them than anybody else. And exclude, I'm, I'm sorry, and includes a $6,000 stipend for participants according to a description on the school's website. Professor Jacobson, 64, along with his conservative nonprofit group, the Equal Protection Project of the Legal Insurrection Foundation, filed the complaint last week with federal officials. According to a previous listing on the University of Minnesota's website, the Multicultural Summer Research Opportunities Program, wow, sounds real interesting, doesn't it, is an intensive 10-week summer program in which undergraduate students of color work full-time with a faculty mentor on a research project. Boring. Boring. You don't have to do that in graduate school. <laughs> as, as no one explained this to them, 10 weeks. A 10-week program working on a research project. What a waste of time. It's unbelievable. 
you can, uh, it's just, it's unbelievable. These students are lied to constantly about what they think they have to achieve in order to attain a piece of paper that they put in a frame and hang on a wall, which ultimately just goes on a resume and then they say, oh, okay, you did this, great. It actually reminds me of a story, and I, and I know I brought this up a long time ago, but it was when I was attending that AERA conference in Toronto. I think that was back in 2019. Uh, that was, I mean, that whole conference was a nightmare for a variety of reasons, and that was the one where I came back to the airport, and my mom met me at the airport, and I looked at her, I, we hugged each other, and I looked right in her face, and I said, we're at war. We are at war. There is a war going on right now, and uh, these people have lost their minds because they all think alike. No one thinks differently, and the occasional outlier is it is attending this conference, but these people have lost their minds. Uh, th there was one presentation that was given by a graduate student, again, just for their master's degree. These were not PhD candidates, and it was at the University of Florida. And they were all excited because, again, they were on this, at this giant table giving this presentation to a room. Again, there may have been 50-some-odd people in the room, probably less than that. And I was in attendance because one of the professors at the university was someone that I had referenced in my books because, again, their work when it came to violent behavior among people was, was interesting work. The problem was is that that work wasn't making its way to the necessary departments like the teacher education department. Teacher education students don't receive psychological training on violence and what causes it and who's responsible and how this destroys learning. And I mean, it completely removes the ability for people to learn. But this particular graduate student was jazzed about her, uh, her research, so to speak, for her master's class uh, and her master's thesis, I guess, where... Um, she was, <laughs> I'm having a hard time with it because it was so absurd. She was studying the impact of using virtual reality as a counseling tool for individuals to overcome their fear of heights. That was it. I was blown away. And unfortunately, everybody in the room, well, not everybody, but many people in the room thought that this was exciting for some reason. The professors were like, oh, yeah, this is really interesting. And I'm saying, are you all retarded? Are you all retarded? There's nothing about that that matters. None of it matters. And the implication that she was making was that K-12 school environments could use virtual reality to help students overcome their fears about particular things. That in this virtual reality setting, you can climb a staircase on the inside of the building, and every time you turn around, you're, you can look out the window in this staircase, and you can see yourself getting higher and higher up in the building, and then eventually the individual is at the top of the building, and they're allowed to look over, and they're allowed to look out, and it's all virtual reality, so they know that it's not real, but it allows them to overcome their fear of heights. And we, we, we think that there's implications for this to be used within K-12 settings and regarding any number of issues. I mean, I could hear my IQ dropping in the room as I was listening to this. It was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. None of it is practical 
by any stretch of the imagination within a, within a K-12 setting. It's just another way to use useless technology in a building to accomplish something that they think is of, I don't know, importance, but clearly isn't. It's just the next gimmick. It's the next game. It's the next shiny thing. And that, and that, that was it. I mean, it was really embarrassing. And then at the end, there wasn't much of a Q&A because no one had any questions other than to really say like, wow, that, that seems really dumb. Are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure that's the focus of your study? The, the, the problem is, is that the entire thesis stuff regarding master's degrees is useless. Endless master's programs don't require a thesis. Mine didn't. That wasn't the part of my master's program. At the end of mine, after the end of the 10 courses that I took, you end up compiling an electronic portfolio. You have to answer a whole lot of questions. You have to rewrite a few papers, resubmit them, and that's essentially it. It's basically like, what did you learn while you were here kind of thing. And I, I, you, know, you can't really include what you actually learned. I mean, I learned a great deal, including... How if you voice your opinion within particular classes, you're going to watch your grade drop, <laughs> even if you're even if you're right, and the professor just flat out disagrees with you, you're going to watch your grade drop. That of course is a common is a common thing and still happens to this day. But this entire lie of people having to attend summer camps and graduate camps and research camps and all this other stuff in order to just what put it on a resume because again it's allegedly a part of a master's program it's absurd there are more straightforward down to brass tacks master's programs that you can engage in that don't involve any of this race discrimination which is clearly what this is so the lawyer suing the University of Minnesota wrapped it up and said the following, quote, federal funding should not be used to promote educational opportunities restricted by skin color, he said. Federal funding for the University of Minnesota needs to be reevaluated. No kidding. Says if this was a program that restricted participation to whites, there would be an absolute uproar. But we would be a part of that uproar, he added, unquote. People had better understand there is a manufactured race war taking place on a constant basis. Again, all of those commencement speeches that were being given by Oprah and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and whoever the hell else was out there giving them. I mean, Anthony Fauci, for God's sakes, even gave one. The very murderer himself of the individuals that he was murdering was given an opportunity to provide a, uh, a commencement speech, I believe, at the University of Washington if memory serves, certainly in Washington state. But the, the race, the purposeful race division that's taking place is astounding, absolutely astounding. And copious amounts of people are just drinking it in and applauding it like it's, in, you know, like it's legitimate. Because remember white supremacy, right? White supremacy is the largest problem facing America. If, if any white person got up at a college or university commencement speech and said black supremacy is the largest problem that our country faces. What would happen to that person? See, when the shoe's on the other foot and everybody would lose their mind, that right there is the indication that the entire thing is a purposeful hoax. It's a psychological operation designed to brainwash people and get people to kill other people. It's one of their last plays. 
it really is one of their last plays. That's when you know it's full desperation is when they're directly attacking the majority of Americans by trying to get the minority of Americans to hate the majority. You probably saw the story of the U-Haul van crashing into the barriers in front of the White House, and then they randomly pulled out a swastika flag. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty embarrassing. I mean, they're not even trying anymore. They're not even trying. Uh, there, there's this too. This is the last education story I have here. Rather hilarious, and it could have been published in the Journal of No Kidding. Uh, this comes from Nottingham Trent University. It's titled, Fittest Pupils Performed Best in Cognitive Tasks Study Shows. Fitter pupils' cognition was up, 20, was up to 20% better across a range of tasks compared to their less fit peers. It says, sports scientists at Nottingham Trent University found that on average, the fittest youngsters aged 12 to 13 showed better attention, perception, memory, and higher-level decision-making and complex thinking when challenged. As part of the study, the team was aiming to understand how a one-hour PE lesson, specifically football, might help to improve pupils' performance in the classroom. Using a series of cognitive tests before and after PE, the researchers found that working memory the retention of small amounts of information improved by about 10% in pupils who spent more time performing moderate to vigorous activity. Now, as you might expect, I'm going to interject one little thing here. My, my peccadillo with this has to do with the fact that it's physical education and playing football. Exercise, ladies and gentlemen, that's all. It's just exercise an individual exercises, then yes, they're going to have more cognitive output. That's, that's not a new thing. And it sounds like they arrived at that exact conclusion here. It says, during the study, however, they also observed that irrespective of the PE lesson, the fittest children measured by the distance covered during a shuttle running test on a separate day showed superior ability overall across all of the cognitive function tests. Their performance in attention, perception, memory, and executive function tasks was on average between 10 and 20% greater than their less fit peers, achieving accuracy with faster response times. It says the tests undertaken by 76 pupils measured concentration and retention and detection of information higher-level decision-making, and complex thinking, which the researchers argue are all crucial for the classroom. Well, not just the classroom, but that thing called life. It's crucial for that, too. They said, quote, We found that fitter children perform particularly well across a range of measures considered important for academic achievement and performance in school, said lead researcher Luke Gilbert from Nottingham Trent University's School of Science and Technology. He said, quote, our study demonstrates the importance of fitness in young people. No kidding. No kidding. Furthermore, as PE is the only opportunity for many young people to undertake moderate to vigorous physical activity and develop their fitness, no, it isn't. <laughs> These people, I'll tell you what. They, they really do think that you're dumb if you don't have government telling you what to do. They really do. Most children don't even know how to run. Ladies and gentlemen, unless they do it in physical education class sanctioned by the government. 
give me a break. I know I sound, <laughs> I know how I sound. I know I sound a little short in this episode, but some of this is just, it's next level dumb. These people are strange. It, he said it further highlights the value of the importance of PE. Really? Really? If a child exercises before they go to school and after they're in school, you're going to have the same results. It doesn't have to exist within. It doesn't have to. But this is this is more of their research that they'll use to justify the presence of PE for the purpose of keeping it around as these schools become insolvent. It says, quote, Nottingham Trent University researcher Dr. Simon Cooper added, quote, This was the first study to look specifically at how a PE lesson might affect cognition which is important considering that cognition affects the ability to learn and perform at school. That's not true. That's, it's not the first research study that's done that. Engage in physical activity and then take a test. Engage in physical activity and then read a page of information out of this book. And then let's see who can recall what's in the book and comprehend what's in the book, as opposed to someone who didn't engage in the physical activity beforehand. This has been done countless times. This is not a new thing. They said, quote, the time allocated for PE in school is sometimes reduced in favor of more academic subjects, and this could be counterproductive for enhancing the achievement of pupils. Please. <laughs> they don't even hear themselves. It's, it wraps up finally, and it says, quote, While evidence shows that physical activity positively affects cognitive function in young people, we know that the intensity, duration, and type of activity are very important. For future work, we'd like to understand more about how different types of PE might affect cognition, along with how PE could be optimized in terms of the potential cognitive benefits, unquote. That was actually published in the real journal of Frontiers in Psychology. Unbelievable. None of that's new. None of it. They, they can say it's new as the day is long. Look, this is exactly why we need physical education and we need more rigorous physical education and certainly different kinds of physical education. And keep in mind, they'll never get this anywhere else in society just within government physical education. That's the only time, ladies and gentlemen, that they'll ever receive any real exercise. Who believes that? These children have cell phones in their pockets with YouTube, which have endless free physical activity games on it, endless free exercises they can do any time of the day. I would argue the opposite. The most useless class in American education, certainly at the public, private, and charter school level, is physical education. Because what exists in the palm of a child's hand regarding their cell phone and the access to all of these real rigorous physical activities that do exist, you'll never find them in a physical education class. You won't. Because there's really no discipline within a PE class. Yes, they have their different parameters and packets that they have to fill out. And, you know, how many push ups did I do on this day as opposed to later on? But it's nothing like what they really need to learn as an adult for being 
an adult, which is, again, far more rigorous than what they're going to find in a PE class. You can download these apps for free. Some of the apps are paid apps. Download the Beachbody app. I mean, this is the app I use to exercise. They have endless programs. They have endless exercise programs. I've been using the Beachbody stuff since uh, the P90X days of Tony Horton. What was that? God, 20, 20 some odd years ago. I've been using it that long. It works. It's great stuff. You're not going to find me in a PE class. I mean, you don't need it. Again, it can be a nice introduction to students, I suppose, who don't have uh, parents who are, who are thinking about that kind of thing or introducing their children to that kind of thing, I guess. But with the amount of information that we have at our fingertips these days, it, it just, in my opinion, it just proves that physical education class is, is practically useless. In fact, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll reverse my opinion a little bit on that. If it got back to the days of when John Kennedy was president and his presidential fitness program, I mean, go back and look at that footage. Go back and watch those YouTube videos. You're not going to find anybody who's out of shape. No one. Every girl is ripped. Every guy is ripped. They're all jacked. They're doing the, you know, pegs in the holes, pull-up thing. They're climbing over stuff. They're doing the rope pull. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff, and they're running around with their shirts off. I mean, it's intense. It's intense stuff. They were prepping these dudes for war. That's essentially what it was. Let's get them ready for war, but he also knew we needed a strong civilian populace. That's not what we have now. And we've had PE classes declining in what they've been doing in their classes since then. Very few do that presidential fitness test stuff anymore. They don't do it, which is why, again, you don't see a lot of jacked students engaging in physical activity anymore. I don't know. I could keep railing on it forever. It's a hot point because it's just one of those things that, you know, I've just personally witnessed as we all have. I mean, if we go back to when we were children, Physical education back then was far more rigorous than it is now. And I remember seeing it when I was a school teacher and thinking to myself, really? This is it? I mean, yeah, you had a lot of game playing going on. And there was some weight training taking place. But it certainly, it certainly didn't seem to be preparing them for, for later in life. And I know that the food has gotten more poisonous and things of that nature. And certainly the technology hasn't helped. But I don't know. That could be its own episode, frankly. But I want to end with this, something that's jab-related. Uh, again, New York, they are, they are full crazy and going full crazier, if that's even possible. Uh, just very quickly here from the Gateway Pundit, it's titled, New York Democrats Vote to Give the State Free Reign Over Minor Children. The New York State Assembly's so-called Health Committee votes yes to allow minors to take drugs with no parental consent. Now, I'm not going to read this entire article because it is very lengthy, and, uh, it, but it's very well done, and it provides quite a history regarding New York State and the federal government and shots that they want students to take. Of course, we know that they're all poison and they don't prevent against anything. It's just about sterilizing and poisoning minors and clearly replacing the parent with government. 
and that the parent doesn't know better and that, well, it's government. And if you want to attend government institutions, well, then you have to abide by government regulation. It's, uh, it's just more evidence, again, that what the listener of my show sent me, and I read his email in the last episode where he said, hey, look, that's it. Our kids are coming out. Our kids are coming out of New York schools. They're requiring the Tdap shot. We're not doing it. It's not happening. This is, this is the perfect motivation to get out. And they are. And I would encourage everybody else to do the exact same. Again, New York State doesn't have the religious or medical exemptions, if memory serves, certainly not the religious ones. This, of course, as they even state in the article, has to do with advancing vaccine passports and normalizing all of that. It says a current legal regulation allows giving drugs and vaccines to minors without parental consent. It says the goal of the bill is to make legal and a legal regulation pushed through in 2017 by former Governor Andrew Cuomo that allowed giving drugs and vaccines to minors without parental consent. There would also be a database, apparently, that will be used to identify and punish people. And it says it is COVID now. It will be the other shots in the future. We currently have a mandatory children's vaccine database. Its only purpose is to track children for compliance, enforcement, and punishment. This is the first step to a statewide vaccine passport. The existing database was used exactly for that purpose during COVID with the Excelsior vaccine passport. The bill opens the door for demanding all medical records psychiatric drugs, HIV, and other STD, contraceptive use, etc., etc. What is interesting about this is the following. You have individuals on all sides of every possible political aisle against this, which is interesting. I mean, that's a very good thing. You have endless individuals basically saying, hey, look, this is terrible. They're going to track me. They're going to find me. They're going to jab me. And I can't do what I want to do unless I play their game. You got a lot of different people on a lot of different sides in agreement on this one. And that's, that's interesting. That's a very good movement thing, I think. But the politicians don't care. That's the other unfortunate side of that coin. In fact, I'll tell you what, I'm going to end with this. This is education related too, but as we know, this is exactly what politicians are also interested in. It's not just the drug aspect, but it's the indoctrination aspect on a constant basis. This was just sent to me by a friend of mine who works locally within the school district, and they sent me this screenshot. This was from an anonymous individual. I'm assuming this is on Facebook, but it says, quote, I just want to make it known to parents who sign consent to have their seventh graders taught about sex education, that there is more to the curriculum than what you are led to believe. When you sign consent, the email only lists one traditional sex education teaching resource that they will be using, but the students are also shown this video about gender identity. I think it's fair that the parents know what is included in their children's curriculum, especially when it comes to sex education. As you've heard me say, this is part of the ongoing battle that exists, not just in the state of Ohio, but lots of places regarding what parents are allowed to, to see regarding curriculum that exists and quote-unquote parental choice when it comes to particular subjects that are brought to, uh, brought to the forefront within classroom settings. This video I'm going to play is uh, about three minutes long. It's three years old. 
and it is from Amaze Org. A-M-A-Z-E. You've probably heard of this group. They certainly have a YouTube channel with a bunch of strange cartoons. And this is how they normalize all of these perversions. And they wonder why children are confused and killing themselves. It, uh, it can't get any clearer. All right, folks, here we go. A romaine and kale salad with avocado, cucumber, shishito peppers, and four kinds of cheese. Sprinkled in balsamic straight from Italy. Wow. In my day, salads only had two ingredients, a rock-hard wedge of iceberg lettuce and a stinky old dried-up tomato. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm going to have to eat fast. Alex is stopping by in a few minutes to work on our robotics project. Alex, is that the girl with that weird dog or the boy with the hat with the wings that flap? No, Uncle Jay. This is Alex. Oh, okay. I remember. A very nice young... Hmm, come to think of it. Well, is Alex a boy? Or a girl. Actually, Alex doesn't define themselves as boy or girl. What else is there? Back in your day, most people understood the world in terms of just boys and girls. But now, we know gender is more complex than that. Wait, aren't we just talking about whether you're born with a mm-hmm or a mm-hmm? When you're born, your sex is assigned in a medical way. But the sex listed on your birth certificate may not necessarily match your gender identity. Gender identity is a person's inner experience of who they are in terms of gender, their deep personal sense of being male, female, a blend of both, or neither. And while many people have a gender identity that's the same as their assigned birth sex of female or male, that's not always the case, because gender exists on a spectrum. Like transgender, which means a person whose gender identity is not consistent with their assigned birth sex. Non-binary, which means a person whose identity doesn't fall in the category of either male or female. And genderqueer, or gender fluid, which means a person who does not identify themselves as having a specific gender at all. Does gender identity have to do with being straight or gay? Actually, no. Gender identity has to do with the way you feel about yourself. While sexual orientation is based on the way you feel toward others, the people you may or may not be attracted to. You know, I really like Alex, and I can tell they're a good friend to you. But I'm still pretty confused about all of this. That's okay. You don't have to fully understand someone to respect them. To start, try not to make any assumptions about a person's gender. And use the name and pronouns that they ask you to. Above all, be a friend or ally for people of all gender identities. That's right, Mom. Oh, Alex is here. Come on in. Hey, everyone. Oh, hey, Alex. Care for some salad? The balsamic's right from Italy, you know. If you're asking yourself why, why does this happen? Why are we experiencing this? Ladies and gentlemen, it's the devil. You know it. I know it. We all know it. It's just the devil. And this right here again is what is allowed within American K-12 schools regarding this kind of instruction, and if you think that the perverse individuals teaching this are going to tell parents about it, they're not. They're not even going to tell the students about it until it happens. They're going to sneak it in any way they can, because this is the insanity. And the school districts that allow it, well, they're showing you exactly who they are, and they are not well. All of this confusion leading to a person's death, ultimately, is the devil's work. That's it. I'll catch you on Friday, everybody. Peace.
Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.